Please take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, when we come to that, we will be just touching on it briefly. As you see in the bulletin, there are three passages listed this morning. Uh, Romans chapter 8, John chapter 14, and John chapter 16. Within our Constitution, we have a brief doctrinal statement that covers what is described as the essentials of the faith. These are truths that are central to the Word of God and thus are central to us in the faith. This is not an exhaustive list. Some of you may not agree with that. You may think I've been exhaustive. We've been taking an overview of them simply so we can understand and affirm what we believe to be true, not just because it's within their constitution or within a doctrinal statement, because it is within the Word of God. It is good for us to know what the Word of God says on key issues. Now, perhaps as we have gone through a particular truth, because we've been doing this for a little while now, today is Essentials of the Faith, Part 12, perhaps in the past weeks you have wondered why a particular truth is central, and I pray that as you have wondered that and maybe questioned that, as you have listened, that has been answered as we've looked through the Word of God together. If you have not asked that question yet, then perhaps you will today. We will be considering the work of the Holy Spirit in believers. This is specifically for those who have trusted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. This is for those who are children of God by grace through faith, those born again. If you have not yet trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you still need the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Because as we saw last week, one of the works of the Holy Spirit is the work of regenerating repentant believers. That when we come to God by faith, that the Holy Spirit brings us in to the body of Jesus Christ. He transforms us. He makes us new. You need to be made new. You need to acknowledge that you are a sinner separated from God because of that sin. You need to, to see the grace of God as demonstrated in Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ came and laid down his life for you to pay the penalty of the sin that you could not pay. The desire of God, the desire of Jesus Christ in that sacrifice was that you would be restored in right relationship to the God that you were created to be in loving relationship with. We come to Him believing in the grace demonstrated in Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit makes us one with Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, makes us a believer, makes us a convert, makes us regenerate, makes us alive in Jesus Christ. That is one of the works of the Holy Spirit. As a believer, as one who has trusted, and I pray that as you this morning, your spiritual life is dependent on the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just do the work of regenerating believing sinners, but he does a work within the regenerated believing sinner. And it is necessary. The Holy Spirit, I pray, has already transferred you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, I pray, has already made you new in Jesus Christ. But after that regeneration, the Holy Spirit's work is as vital as it was in regeneration. It is as vital for the believer as it is in bringing the non-believer to faith. You cannot survive the Christian walk without the Holy Spirit. He is, for the believer, our source of strength and of hope. He is the one who ministers to and within the body of Jesus Christ, the church. Jesus Christ is no longer on the earth in physical form as he was before the ascension. The Holy Spirit has now come to continue the work of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is God at work on the earth today in the church and through the church. To ignore this truth is at least detrimental and at worst destructive 
spiritually. The fifth essential of the faith, as listed in our doctrinal statement, is the Holy Spirit by whose indwelling the believer is enabled to live a holy life, to witness and work for the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Heavenly Father, as we look at this essential, as we look at this vital truth, I pray that you would establish it in our minds, not as something that is optional, not as something that is secondary, but truly as it is a vital truth, a vital work. Forgive us for so often neglecting this area or even resisting the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We ask that this morning, even now, you would empty us of ourselves, that you would firmly remove us from the throne of our life and be established on the throne of our life as Lord of all. We acknowledge that you are at work in us by your Spirit and we yield to your Spirit. We ask that in this time you would accomplish your desire, your purpose, your plan. And I ask that you would enable me to present the truth of your word, not my own thoughts or my own ideas, but the truth of your word in such a way as to, to give you glory and honor and praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are a couple things that I would like you to note before we get into the meat of that statement. The Holy Spirit, by whose indwelling the believer, is enabled to live a holy life, to witness and work for the Lord Jesus Christ. The meat of that is the last half of that statement, but there's a couple things that are very important at the beginning of it. First, it is assumed who the Holy Spirit is here. That goes back to the second essential statement of faith. There is one God, eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we have already affirmed that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, fully God in essence, yet distinct in person from the Father and the Son. A quick reference for that would be Acts chapter 5. There, in the first few verses, we find Ananias and Sapphira. They're in the early New Testament church. They have sold their land, and they have donated part of the proceeds to the church. They didn't have to sell their land, and if they chose to sell their land, they didn't have to donate anything, much less all of the proceeds to the church. But the issue is that they sold their land, they donated some of the money to the church, but they lied and pretended that they had donated all of their money to the church. And this is what Peter says to them about their hypocrisy. And I'm not so concerned about Ananias and Sapphira here as about what it says of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 5, verse 3 to 4, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not yours? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Now, without going and doing an in-depth treatment on that, it says there that the Holy Spirit is God. Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Why have you lied to God? The second thing that I would like you to note in this statement, the Holy Spirit, by whose indwelling the believer is enabled to live a holy life to witness and work for the Lord Jesus Christ, is that word indwelling. The believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. When the repentant sinner trusts in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. The Holy Spirit takes up residence within the believer. The Holy Spirit indwells every genuine born-again child of God. This was shown at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came as promised to live within believers. This is a unique work. This is not something that was known in the Old Testament. This is distinctly church age. In the Old Testament, the child of God may have been anointed or equipped or enabled by the Spirit, but not indwelt. This is for the church age alone. This is a greater work 
than took place in the Old Testament by the Holy Spirit. As now God is not merely working on individuals, He is by His Spirit working within individuals. And John chapter 14 speaks of this as a promise from Jesus Christ, and we'll see that shortly. Another passage that speaks of that is Romans chapter 8, where I've asked you to turn, remembering that any time the Word of God speaks of Christ living within the believer, it is by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that's being spoken of there. The Spirit of Christ, as we will see from this reference. Romans chapter 8, reading in verse 5 to 11. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity, it's at war against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh, that is, those who operate on the principle that you're born with, the sin nature, the flesh, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, it's just referred to him as the Spirit of God, here he refers to him as the Spirit of Christ, one and the same, the Holy Spirit. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his, capital H-I-S. He does not belong to God. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. There is an incredible wealth of information within those few verses. Suffice to say for now that the mark of the believer, the child of God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, is that he or she has the Spirit of God living within them. They are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Anyone who does not have the Holy Spirit is not of God, that verse clearly says, and it can't be any clearer than that. This is absolutely relevant and essential. This is why the work of the Holy Spirit is listed in the essentials. Because if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you do not belong to God. It is a matter of salvation. This is just things I want you to note before we get into the meat of it. The third thing that I would like you to note is that the Holy Spirit enables the believer to do a few things. The Holy Spirit is the enabler. He is the power within the believer. Every believer has the Holy Spirit, and he is the one that does the work of God in that believer. He is the means of God working in you. So there's no such thing as a child or as a Christian without the Holy Spirit, and there's no such thing as power to the Christian without that Holy Spirit. He is the power of God at work within his child. We understand this from a variety of passages about the Holy Spirit but a primary source for that, for understanding that, is simply through the name that is given the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. There, as Jesus is promising the coming of the Holy Spirit, Christ calls the Holy Spirit by the name in Greek, parakletos. This is the title of the Holy Spirit. It has been translated variously as comforter, helper, advocate, counselor, or friend. The best translation is probably a helper or advocate. Thayer's Greek-English Dictionary defines that word parakletos as this. The Holy Spirit, destined to take the place of Christ with the apostles after his ascension to the Father, to lead them to a deeper knowledge of the gospel truth and give them divine strength needed to enable them to undergo trials and persecutions on behalf of the divine kingdom. It is the Spirit of Christ at work in the church today. 
And he is the one who is the source of strength. He enables the believer to live pleasing to God. So you get the idea there. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps or empowers the believer. The Holy Spirit, already established, by whose indwelling, we understand we are indwelt if we've trusted Jesus Christ by grace through faith. The Holy Spirit, by whose indwelling the believer, is enabled or equipped, is given power to live a holy life, to witness and work for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that you may remember them, I put them in this way. The believer is enabled by the Holy Spirit to walk pleasing to the Lord, witness boldly of the Lord, and work effectively for the Lord. The believer is enabled. You are equipped. You are given everything that you need by the Holy Spirit within you to walk pleasing to the Lord, to witness boldly of the Lord, and to work effectively for the Lord. Now we're going to read in John chapter 14 and 16, just a couple of verses in each of them, and discover what Christ himself says about that promised Holy Spirit, that promised helper. In John chapter 14, starting, and we are starting mid-passage here, and I realize that we're looking just exclusively at what is being said by Christ about the promised coming Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, starting in verse 15. Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. That's that word, parakletos. I will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you. Remember, this is before the cross, before the ascension, before the uh, before Pentecost. And then he says, and will be in you. That was fulfilled at Pentecost. Every believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Verse 18 Christ says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Notice that it is Christ saying, I will come to you in the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, a little while longer and the world sees me no more. But you will see me because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then turn over to John chapter 16, reading from verse 7 to the end of verse 15. Jesus, once again speaking, says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, Paracletos, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear to hear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said, he will take of mine and declare it to you. May God bless to us the reading of his word this morning. Those passages certainly reinforce the truths that I have just mentioned as notes about this statement of faith. The Holy Spirit is God. We see that very clearly here. We see the promise of Christ that he would send another helper in John chapter 14, verse 16. The idea of another is of like kind, as Jesus Christ was. Jesus Christ was ascending to the Father, but there would be this helper from God, the Holy Spirit, who would continue the work of Jesus Christ in the church or in believers. 
If you look back a few verses, the Holy Spirit would work greater works in the believers than Christ had. That is in John chapter 14. That is speaking of greater in quantity rather than greater in quality. Because the Holy Spirit is not limited to one body in one place at one time as Jesus Christ was. The Holy Spirit indwells all believers. So he is at work in every believer at every time in every location. That is clear from John chapter 14 verse 17 where it says the Holy Spirit dwells within you or dwells with you and will be in you, which came true at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is the helper. He is that parakletos. This is reinforcing the truths that have already been presented. But getting to the points about how the Holy Spirit enables the believer, because that is the meat of that statement. We see, first of all, that the believer is enabled by the Holy Spirit to walk pleasing to the Lord. In John chapter 14, verse 19, Jesus says, A little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. How? By the Holy Spirit. So the life of the child of God, by grace through faith, is only possible through the life of Christ within them. How is Christ alive within you? He is alive within you by his Spirit. There is not a fourth Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, is the Holy Spirit. You are alive in Christ by Christ being alive in you. The work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, living and dwelling within you. And because the life of Christ is alive within you, by the Holy Spirit, you are now able to walk pleasing to the Lord. It is his life. You are unable to do it on your own. It will not be in your life, in your strength, in your health, in in whatever that is of you, that you are able to live pleasing to God. You can't do it. We're born in sin. Even after we trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we still have a sin nature within us. And we have a bent to do what is wrong. We have a bent to live not pleasing to God. But by the Holy Spirit, you can walk. And we are called to walk. We are equipped and enabled to walk pleasing to God. And notice as well in that passage in John chapter 14 that it starts and ends with the exhortation to keep Christ's commandments. This is only possible by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 as well, which we looked at briefly, states the same. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead, speaking of the Holy Spirit, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh. We don't have to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, spiritually speaking. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Victory is only possible by the Spirit. It is only possible to reject and to put to death the desires of the flesh by the Spirit. Try to do it on your own. Don't try to do it on your own. You'll fail. And you know that. Why? Because you have tried to do it on your own. And I have tried to do it on your own. I've made myself a list, and I'm sure every one of you has as well. Things I won't do. And when you try to do that by yourself, it seems like the moment you create the list, (laughs) you start failing at it. Why? Because it's not something we're, we're meant to do on our own. It's not something we can do on our own. It is only possible to walk pleasing to the Lord by the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit abiding within you, in other words, if you are truly a believer, because everyone who has the Spirit is a son of God or a daughter of God, the Holy Spirit will give life to your mortal bodies. That is, the Holy Spirit will enable you to live pleasing to God even though you are still in this corrupt, dying body. We no longer have to serve the flesh. We no longer have to give in to our carnal appetites. 
but by the Spirit we put those appetites to death. We mortify the flesh, and by the Spirit we serve God. Paul tells Timothy, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. The good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. How do you hold fast to the truth of the Word of God? By the Holy Spirit. How do you follow the commandments which have been committed to you? By the Holy Spirit. How do you walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him? By the Holy Spirit. I want to stress that again. We as a conservative evangelical fundamental church tend to downplay or ignore the work of the Holy Spirit. We do so in part because of the abuses or misuses of the Holy Spirit, particularly of spiritual gifts, what has been ascribed to the Holy Spirit. And we look at that and we see that and we we back away from it. But you do not, we should not, react to an abuse by rejecting the truth of the work of the Holy Spirit. You cannot walk pleasing to the Lord on your own. You cannot obey God in your own strength of your flesh. You cannot resist sin or live righteously on your own. Isn't that why the fruit of the Spirit are called the fruit of the Spirit? It is a produce of the Spirit. It takes the Holy Spirit to enable you to walk in love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You can't do that on your own. And right after it lists those fruit in Galatians chapter 5, it says, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. You profess to live by the Spirit. You profess to have life by the Spirit, to be born again. You profess that, then walk by the Spirit. He is just as instrumental in your salvation as He is in your sanctification. You cannot do it on your own. Walk by the Spirit. Secondly, the believer is enabled by the Holy Spirit or by the Spirit to witness boldly of the Lord. This is one of the clearest works of the Holy Spirit. The church today tends to get caught up with the uh, supernatural manifestations of the Spirit or be bent on denying those same supernatural manifestations. And what we should be caught up in in regards to the Holy Spirit is His work in equipping us to witness. His work in equipping us to witness of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 1, just before the ascension of Jesus Christ, we see this conversation. It says in verse 6 and 8, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, this is the disciples speaking of Christ, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus Christ was talking of the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. The same Spirit has come and has indwelt every true follower of Jesus Christ. Remember, according to Romans chapter 8, that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is a mark that you are a child of God. If you do not have the Spirit, you do not belong to Him. And what is promised with the presence of the Holy Spirit? You shall receive power and you shall be witnesses of Jesus Christ. It can't be any clearer than that. One of the primary works of the Holy Spirit is to enable believers to powerfully and effectively witness of Jesus Christ. Later on in Acts, in Acts chapter 4, verse 33, it says, And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. We are enabled, we are empowered, and we are called and commanded and directed to witness of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself also promised 
this work of the Holy Spirit. As we draw close to the end of this age, there will be great persecution. In Mark chapter 13, verse 11, it says, But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a special, even miraculous enabling of the Holy Spirit? Much more so than some of the things we would say are miraculous interventions today. That he anoints us, he enables us, he gives us the words to speak. And praise God he does, because if it was up to you or I, whether it's at the end times and incredible persecution, or whether it's just on a day-to-day basis, we do not have the words to speak. It was said of Christ, you have the words of life. Jesus Christ is the word of life. The Holy Spirit enables us to speak the words of Jesus Christ, to speak words of life. The work of the Holy Spirit. And just one last thought in regards to that enabling of the Holy Spirit in witnessing. The Holy Spirit enables us to witness of Christ. The Holy Spirit doesn't enable us and doesn't call us to witness of himself or of ourself. In other words, the Holy Spirit doesn't glorify himself. The Holy Spirit will not cause believers to glorify themselves either or to exalt themselves. I say that because there is a temptation to make much of the witnesser, the witness, more than of what we are witnessing. There's also temptation to make much of the Holy Spirit and to glorify him and his works. And we're not to do that. We're to glorify Jesus Christ. In John chapter 16, verse 13 to 14, it says this. We've already read this. When he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, this is from God the Father and Christ, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, that is Jesus Christ, for he will take of what is mine, Christ says, and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit is not self-exalting. The Holy Spirit does not exalt as well the preacher or the witness. That is not his intention. That's not his purpose. That's not what he's called to. It's not what he's calling you to. Don't get distracted by the equipper or the power of the equipper. We tend to do that, don't we? Get distracted by the power that's come to us, what the power is so that we can witness of Jesus Christ. We are empowered to witness unto Jesus Christ. Make sure the spotlight is on him not on ourselves, and not even on the Holy Spirit. Make sure the spotlight is on Jesus Christ. The believer is enabled by the Spirit to witness boldly of Jesus Christ. Third thing, the believer is enabled by the Spirit to work effectively for the Lord. In John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, he believes on me and the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. We've already said that speaks of quantity rather than quality. No one can do greater works than Jesus Christ in quality because he accomplished the work of salvation. You can't top it. And even if you're talking physical, actual works that Christ did, you can't top resurrection of the dead. You can't top Christ on quality. But he has called and equipped and enabled you to do more than he has done in regards of quantity. And why is that? Well, we mentioned it's because the Holy Spirit is within you. And so he was within every believer through all of the church age, in every location, accomplishing the work of God through his church. And so the works will be, they must be much greater. Jesus Christ was restricted here on earth. One time, one place, one body. Even in ministering to the disciples and apostles, he couldn't, he didn't indwell them. 
He could direct them and encourage them and correct them and rebuke them, all of these things. But it was restricted, even just in time and location. I wonder if there was times that Jesus Christ had this wish that, I wish I was operating by the Spirit rather than in this body because I need to be here and I need to be there at the same time. Well, even with Lazarus, right? We're going to hold off here, we're going to wait. Now, there was a specific reason why Jesus waited before he went to raise Lazarus from the dead. But wouldn't it have been convenient to be able to say, I'm here and I'm here at the same time? Wouldn't have he been able to accomplish much more? Well, absolutely. And so, by the Holy Spirit, greater works than these shall you do. And it's interesting, it says, why? Because I go to my Father. And what is the promise that has been spoken of there? The entire passage is, I am going to my Father, but I'm sending another comforter. I will not abandon you. You will have one living within you. He, right now he's with you, but after Pentecost he will be in you. And so you're called to greater things. This is weird and I don't want it to sound sacrilegious, but you're called to accomplish greater things as far as quantity than even Jesus Christ did here on earth. Why? Because you have the Spirit of God living within you. We have, if you have trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, we have the Spirit of Christ living within us. And so even when we leave this church doors this morning, we go out in greater number and to accomplish greater things as far as quantity than Jesus Christ ever did while he was here on earth. Isn't that miraculous? And that's the work that, that God has chosen to do in his people by his Holy Spirit. And we neglect it. We overlook it. We forget about it. We think it's not important or it's not, irrele- or it's not relevant. God is at work in the world today. And you are his vessel. What a blessing. What a marvel. Old Testament saints looked down on this period of time and and wished that they could take part in it. We look back in the Old Testament and think, well, God actually spoke to them in an audible voice. God actually intervened in a physical way. God provided a miracle, an incredible manifestation. You know what? They would long for this period of time. Why? Because they never knew the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They knew God working on the situation from the outside in, absolutely, and in miraculous ways. We, the moment you trust Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life, you experience something that no Old Testament saint ever experienced. The Holy Spirit indwells you and immerses you into Jesus Christ, makes you part of his body, and then calls you and equips you and enables you to go into the world and to be his hands and his feet. We are enabled, the church is enabled to do the work and to do it effectively for the glory of God through the enabling of his Holy Spirit. Now there are a bunch of different verses which speak to that. The primary ones are when it speaks of the gifts of the Spirit. Those are gifts of the Spirit. They are unique manifestations of the Spirit. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7-11 is one of those passages. It says that the manifestation or the revealing of the Holy Spirit is given to each one. That is, every believer has been given a or multiple gifts and that we operate together. They've been given for the profit of all and it is so that God will do his work in the church and through the church. And it lists a bunch of these different ones in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but also lists a few more in Ephesians chapter 4. All of these spiritual gifts are given, and we've looked at this in the past. It says in Ephesians 4, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. That's you guys and me. Spiritual gifts are given to equip the saints, everyone who's trusted Jesus Christ, for the work of the ministry, and then it goes on, for the edifying of the body of Christ. 
till or until we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And that's, I read over that fast, but he has given us spiritual gifts until Jesus Christ comes back for his church, for his body. And he's given them to us with purpose. It's so that we would right now grow up in them, mature in them, until we all come to the fullness of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Until we all come to the perfect man or woman that is mature and complete. Those gifts are given within that time frame. And that time frame is secondary, but it's given with purpose. That purpose is that we would be made like Jesus Christ. And that we would work as the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in the world around us today. And that's not just witnessing. We've already looked at witnessing. He enables us to witness. That is, the words that we speak. Yes, sometimes the deeds that we do. But here, actually, the works that we do. And we see in Ephesians chapter 4, sorry, chapter 2, that he has called us to good works, right? We're not saved by works, but we're saved unto good works, which he has foreordained, which he has planned from eternity past, that all of his children should walk in. He has a work for you to do. He has a work for me to do. Find out what the work is that God is calling us to and invest ourselves in it with energy. Not our own energy, but the energy of the Holy Spirit abiding within us. Invest ourselves in it with power. Not our own power, but the power of the Holy Spirit. Invest yourselves in it even with authority. It's a work that God has ordained you to do. He's called you to it. It's specific to you from God the Father. From eternity past. And now equipped by the Holy Spirit. Enabled by the Holy Spirit. We affirm the Holy Spirit by whose indwelling the believer is enabled to live a holy life, to witness and work for the Lord Jesus Christ. That is true. That is essential. You cannot live the Christian life independent of the Holy Spirit. You want to walk pleasing to the Lord? You should be, if you're trusting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You are only able to do that through the Holy Spirit. You want to witness boldly of Jesus Christ? And you should, if you truly belong to Christ. That is only possible through the Holy Spirit. You want to work effectively for the Lord and for his sake, for his kingdom, and you should if you belong to Jesus Christ. It is only possible by the Holy Spirit. The child of God, by grace through faith, has been brought into the family of God by the Holy Spirit, now indwelt by the Holy Spirit and equipped by the Holy Spirit. Why would we want to operate without the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit? Too many believers today, too often I, operate devoid of the Holy Spirit. And we must confess that when we do, we are utterly useless for the kingdom of God. Why? Because whatever is of the flesh is opposed to God. It's at enmity, what is of the flesh. That it means that what I do on my own strength is in rebellion against God. But what I do by the Spirit is pleasing to God. When we live by the Spirit, we please God and we do what he calls us to do. We walk pleasing, we witness boldly, and we work effectively. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in the followers of Jesus Christ. I pray that you know, I pray that you know the statement of faith, not just theologically, but really, truly, and practically. Child of God, you have been indwelt by the Spirit of God. Live by the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work that you are doing. We thank you that you did an incredible and awesome and eternal work on the cross. That Jesus Christ, you laid down your life in our place. You took upon yourself our sins. You bore the penalty and you bore the wrath of God against sin. We thank you that you have continued to do a work, that you didn't abandon us after the cross, 
or even after the ascension, but that God the Father, you sent your Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, to do a powerful work. And you continue to do that powerful work. We thank you that that work was not reserved for Pentecost. That was the pouring out of your Spirit. We thank you that we now live by your Spirit. And we ask that you would enable us by your Spirit to put to death our flesh and to live in your power. We ask that you would enable us, enable us to trust in you, that you are still working. Cause us to trust in you. Cause us to see our dependence upon you. And Lord, if necessary, forcefully, remove us from those things which hold us up, which are not of you. Whatever it is that we're depending on that's not of Jesus Christ, that isn't by your Spirit, we ask that you would remove. And then in the process of breaking us of those things, we would see and know and truly experience the wonder, the joy, the awe of living by your Spirit so that we would be pleasing in our walk, so that we would be bold, grant us a boldness in our witness, so that we'd be effective in every work that we do. Cause us to, to turn to you, to trust in you, to yield to you, and then take us and do with us as you please. We know that it will be great works. Lord, we ask that you would cause that to sink into our minds. That you will do great things. Not because of our merit, not even because of our effort, but because you have determined to, you have promised to, by your Holy Spirit. May we see great things accomplished for you. May we give you glory and honor and praise as we do see these things. May we exalt the name of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.